Yeah, this is my life. I'm done trying to convince people I'm real. Welcome to the Road to the Olympic Trials podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chittam, and in this podcast, we take an insider's look into the training and racing of some of America's best marathoners as they prepare for the Olympic Trials. And oh boy, was this a great episode with Sarah Bishop. Boy, she called it, man. I'll tell you what, in this episode, she talks about what she is planning on doing at the Mesa Marathon, why she even ran the Mesa Marathon, you know, just a couple short weeks before the Olympic Trials Marathon. Also, she has a huge triathlete in New Zealand that she just traveled for the following weekend. This woman is just doing things that I just find inexplicable, fascinating, amazing, all of the above. I mean, it just really is so awesome to see, and it's just so fun to witness. I mean, that's that's the most important thing. So before we get into it, I also want to give a shout out to a new sponsor, V.02. V.02 is a coaching platform for runners of all levels, including the science and formulas of legendary coach Dr. Jack Daniels. Coaches from all over the world use V.02 and are more effectively individualizing, I hate that word, more effectively individualizing their athletes training using it. Because the advantage of VDOT is that it assesses your current fitness from a race result, and then it utilizes that to pinpoint the paces that you need to train properly. We're talking about threshold pace, um, interval pace, repetition pace, marathon pace, so on and so forth. It's great. I use it as a coach, and I use it as an athlete. It's really valuable. I love this. I love this platform. I really do. In fact, over 45 athletes have qualified for the Olympic trials while training with their coach on VDOT. Oh, two. How great is that? All coaches can take advantage of a 30-day free trial by visiting v.02.com. Also, athletes not working with a coach can use code RAMBLING to save 15% on custom training plans for their next goal. So, without further ado, here is my conversation with Sarah Bishop. Sarah Bishop, welcome back to the show. Hey, Matt. It's been a while. It's good to hear from you and talk to you again. It has been a while. We haven't had a conversation on air since September when you came back from the World Championships. And that was obviously a, a wild and crazy experience for you. And it was like, hey, time to get back into, into running. And I know that you had a big fall and winter planned. And I couldn't wait to get back with you because, shoot, here we are. It's February 7th. We're a couple of weeks away. From the from the Olympic trials, so, three weeks, guess, not a couple, three. Just give me that extra week. <laughs> three weeks <laughs> there, you go. there you go. You're the only one who's like looking at this, like forget tapering. I need to step on the gas. Um, but but before we get there, let's just talk about like we we dove in, in in September about what you were planning to do or kind of planning to do in the late 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 fall early winter. Let's talk about what actually happened in terms of your training and racing from the world championships on? Yeah. So um, after the world championships, um, I think I was already planning to do just like one more 70.3 um, that fall before officially kicking off um, Olympic trials training. Maybe I wasn't, but, <laughs> but um, I did decide to do one more 70.3. So I started slowly upping my running at the same time, um, throughout, uh, um, oh, I guess, I guess I forgot. So, um, 
Yeah, so I, I went to China and did the 70.3, and then I also went to Indian Wells and did the 70.3. So maybe I was planning on doing one in China, but then I, went, I did a second one. So, um, so yeah, so for two months after the World Championships, I did kind of uh, stick with triathlon training, decided to get my pro card, and I wanted to get two pro, you know, a pro race under my belt at least before really concentrating on running again and preparing for the trials. So I went to China and um, I did that race. Uh, <laughs> And it was kind of a wild experience. I kind of just wanted to rip the bandaid off uh, and see how I did, you know, um, in uh, a race, you know, not local, you know, all the way, I guess, on the other side of the world. Um, and then just how I would compete against um, the pro field there, um, you know, a lot of these uh, uh, Ironman races um, I'm at the mercy of where they're at. It's not like there's just um, an Ironman race around, you know, every weekend, um, an hour away. You know, a lot of them I do, ha I'm going to have to travel to. So I kind of wanted to see if that would be feasible for me to do by myself sometimes because Brian's going to need to stay home with the kids and it's just not financially um, reasonable for us, for him to come with me on all these trips. So it would have to be like a quick trip for me. So that's what we did. That's what I did. Um, I had a lot of issues with my bike when I got there. Uh, but, yeah. Holy um, cow, man. Like what's harder, what's harder for you? Like the race or just the travel logistics and implementation yeah, going halfway around the world? Definitely the travel logistics, hauling the bike around. I mean, first of all, I just recently got a new bike bag uh, because the one that I had for China, uh, it was really um, sturdy. I mean, it was a hard case and was going to protect my bike, but it was so heavy. It was like 70 pounds. There was only one set of wheels on the back of it. And so I'm lugging this huge bike box around, this heavy bike box around. And I'm like, I cannot carry this thing around by myself. Like I'm going to, so that was the first thing I recognized. I'm going to have to get a new bike box. <laughs> and then I got there and I had somebody at the race help me put my bike together because I knew that they were going to provide that service. And they did. Uh, but then it wasn't, the shifting wasn't working. We couldn't figure out why. And so it was like, so it was really stressful. And actually it was a really easy fix. Um, I mean, just the wire was disconnected um, with the electronic shifting. But I was just like, gosh, what am I doing here? You know, I don't know anything about bikes. I don't know anything about anything. <laughs> you know? like, what do I think I'm doing? But it was a really good experience for me, actually. I did learn, um, I did learn about my bike a little bit that trip and how to put it together. And um, you know, I I had a I, I had a good race. I had a really good swim for me and then my bike and my run were solid I mean I had my it was I had my best P, uh, time yet and I placed fifth in the pro field so I made my goal of um, pretty much earning enough money to pay for my plane to get over there <laughs> so, um, so yeah so it was good it was good so after that um, I came home and then continued to train a little bit and went to Indian Wells in California the first weekend of December. I was like, okay, I'm going to do this one more time, one more time. And then I'm going to train for the trials December, January, February. I only need like, you know, 10 to 12 weeks because I was already in pretty good shape. And I, um, 
had much less difficulties <laughs> with my bike and, uh, over in Indian Wells. And I had a really good race. I thought it was a little bit of a better effort because um, the course was a little bit tougher, a lot more technical turns on the bike. And the run was a little more cross-country style on um, with some rolling hills. But I had a little bit of a better time. And I placed fifth again. So, um so yeah, so that was good. I was kind of was satisfied with my um, triathlon at that point, and I said, okay, now it's time to just switch gears and train for the trials. So I think I told you I was going to run like 85 miles a week and bike like three to four hours a week, and you know what? That's exactly what I did, and um so I didn't do any really 100-mile weeks like I had in the past. I kept my legs a little fresher, but continued, um, you know, a few hours, uh, three to four hours a week of biking, maybe an hour, 30 minutes to an hour of swimming a week. And um, I felt like that kept up my aerobic system that the extra miles might have helped me with, but at the same time, my legs were fresher for workouts. And so I was able to train really well and consistently for eight weeks. I or yeah, for almost maybe seven weeks, and I didn't race until I went to Austin, a 3M half, which was in the plan. Um, and I thought that I had a shot to um, give my PR a run for its money. And I didn't quite do it. I didn't feel great, um, but I felt pretty good. And I ran like my second best half marathon time, um, one or so. So I was, I was, I was happy with it. I mean, I was happy with it, but I thought, eh, if I had my best day, I probably could have run a little bit better. Maybe what I thought I was capable of at the time, but, um, I was still pretty pleased to run my second best half time, you know, uh, eight weeks post try training. So, so, so yeah, so training's been going well. I guess that brings us to somewhat to today. <laughs> All right, we're going to, let, let's not talk about today yet. Let's not talk about today yet because I think <laughs> okay. I have a whole oh, yeah, okay. different round of questions for that. Um, so let, so let, let's just take a, just take, take a nine month overlook of where your fitness went from in early March to early December. In terms of like, obviously, that's when you'd really been cleared to really make it happen. You know, you were kind of post injury at that point, and then, you know, you're really starting to kick butt fitness wise. So, you know, you you know, you're someone who is a serial racer. You love to race all the time as much as possible. And with that being said, obviously, you you know, you you certainly train very hard, but it's not as if like you're only training for peak races and things like that. So. With all of that being said, how has your fitness evolved from early March to early December? So um, I pretty much went from uh, 121 half marathon shape to um, to 119, but that was with triathlon training. So I was I was quote only running you know 50 to 60 miles a week, and then biking like eight hours a week and swimming an hour a week. So um, you know when I came back from the injury, I was very much decided that I was going to focus on triathlon for uh, most of the year. Um, because I had done so well at uh, Chattanooga, you know, so I was, um, my fitness did steadily and I could tell my fitness was steadily improving. It was a little bit harder to judge fitness though in the summer months. 
um, you know, when it's so hot. And then, you know, 70.3s, all the courses are a little different. Um, so you can't always say, oh, well, this was a, I had a faster time at this race than that race, you know, with the weather and the courses and, this, you know, the swim conditions. Um, it's just really hard to compare, but but I could tell I was steadily um, steadily getting fitter, um, both on the bike and the run. Um, but you can only improve so much when you're training for three sports at once. It's just much harder to make huge jumps, you know, in say running or biking or swimming when you have to train all of them at the same time. So what I was trying to do is kind of make improvement in all of them, uh, you know, as I continued to train, they were just much smaller than I think you, you could improve if you were only doing one particular sport, you know? And so, so yeah, so probably improved my half by like three minutes, you know, um, got down to 119 off pretty low mileage. And so it was going to be interesting. I was like, okay, so now I have 10 to 12 weeks before the trials. How much can I improve, you know, my halftime, you know, between, you know, December and January 19th when that race was. So basically December 8th to January 19th. That was like six weeks maybe. So, um, you know, I, I half the biking. I like almost cold turkey stopped most of the biking. And I just slowly upped my run mileage. And in six weeks, I was able to improve another two minutes which um, it took me, you know, six months to improve three minutes, you know, with triathlon training. So there is so much to be said about specificity in training, you know, um, concentrating on one thing versus um, trying to do three things at once. And um, so I was pretty happy with the improvement I'd made in six weeks, um, uh, you know, from December to to. January. Um, and just as goes to show you, you know, um, you know, being very specific in your training, um, uh, matters. In 2014, Chorus was founded with the desire to make products that are more accurate, reliable, durable, and easier to use than anything on their market. And their GPS watches do just that. Coros features the longest battery life on the market with 25 hours in full GPS mode and on the entry-level pace, an astonishing 60 hours on its top-level Vertex. That's 60 hours. My goodness, I can tell you, my GPS watch, I have one on right now from Coros. This thing lasts forever. I've had it on for a week and I haven't charged it yet. It's absolutely phenomenal. They have developed a great reputation of working with top-level athletes in the sports world, trail runners, road runners, climbers, etc. You may have seen even shoot Parker Stinson, who's on my Road to the Olympic Trials podcast, is also a member as well. These athletes trust Coros for their training and they work with them closely to make better products as well. Also, the all-new track mode is the first of its kind for technology and GPS watches, which actually measures your runs correctly while running around a 400-meter track, and you know how much of a pain in the butt that can be if we've you know we've all done track workouts with gps watches and they don't go very well so koros kudos to you go to koros.com that's c-o-r-o-s.com c-o-r-o-s.com to learn more now we i'm assuming that you were especially at the height of your triathlon training that you were training 
more hours per week than maybe you'd ever had before? Yes. Yes. So I was actually in the last eight weeks, I've been training less hours per week, but you know what? So what I did not, what I did not expect. So I, I did expect my running to get better, right? Like as I improved my, you know, as I upped my running, uh, mileage, um, and, and decreased my biking, kind of kept the swim the same. I mean, only swim in 30 minutes to an hour a week. So I've kind of continued that. Um, but, um, you know, my running improved, right? What I didn't expect, Matt, was my cycling to improve so much more too, <laughs> which is crazy because I went from like eight hours a week of cycling to like literally three or four hours a week. That's almost nothing. But I was pushing so much better power and had so much more endurance on the bike. And it all went back to like what I originally thought, like, good runners make the best cyclists, you know, like I'm going to be, you know, I, last year I just like thinking like, and the way I trained was I ran a lot more than most pro triathletes, but I biked a lot less. And I feel like I still performed on the bike, um, equally, if not better. Um, because the, I felt like the running helped my cycling more than cycling helped my cycling. And, and then even when I cut the cycling in half even more, when I'm only about cycling three or four hours a week and up the running um, by like 30 miles a week, my cycling still got better. So <laughs> I don't, I mean, there's got to be, um, you know, I don't think that's true for every athlete. But um, I was just surprised because I did not expect that to happen. Like it's common, you know, it's, it's kind of common knowledge that, you know, to cycle more, to be better at cycling, you have to cycle more to be better at running. You have to run more, et cetera. But that just wasn't true. That just hadn't, wasn't true for me the past eight weeks. So I, I was, I've been surprised by that. <laughs> That's for sure. Um, so yeah. do you feel like your, do you feel like your aerobic capacity after Indian Wells was at an all time high? Obviously like you just, what you mentioned just now about the kind of like the interplay of the biking and the running had had um, effects on speed for both of them. But what about just overall aerobic capacity? I think my aerobic capacity is at an all-time high now, even though my total hours of uh, training is still a little bit lower than it was um, in the fall because I feel like the um, running tr um, Trump cycling Trump swimming as far as um, an endur you know gaining endurance so you know to a, to a very large degree um, and yeah you have to be powerful on the bike and yes you have to have a specific you know stroke in the pool and um, be very um, efficient so you do have to do those things to improve cycling and swimming but from an endurance standpoint like in my opinion running is king and if you look at any triathlon races um, you know Ironman races the it's the fastest runners who always win almost always and they're always um, maybe they have a, a number one or number two bike split, but they're always the, it's like almost always the fastest run splits who win because the best runners have the best endurance capacity in general. And that translates well to the bike. Um, and in some ways the swim, like I, even though I'm swimming, um, a little bit less than I had been in the fall, I feel like my swimming's better just from an aerobic standpoint. Um, simply upping my miles running wise just trumped you know, all those hours on the bike that I was spending. <laughs> so, and like I said, I just think that maybe for as just what my, what my build is, 
uh, you know, that I'm powerful on the bike. Cause you've got to have power on the bike, you know? And I think I just naturally have that. So any more, the endurance that I'm getting from running is just continuing is enable is letting me continue to carry that power, um, for a longer period of time. So it's been a really interesting experiment. <laughs> now, now, how has your training, um, on the run since Indian Wells changed, um, not only in terms of, obviously you, you just mentioned you added 30 miles per week but what types of training are you doing now and has that changed at all from what you were doing in the previous months um yeah so i'm doing uh longer long runs i mean you know i built up to 20 mile long runs that's not something i was doing you know when i was only running 60 miles a week maybe a 13 mile 14 mile long run um at the most in the fall but now i'm built up to 20 so more marathon pace miles kind of thing i'm still doing two hard workouts a week just like i was doing in the fall um uh, but the fall, I was doing more running off the bike workouts, and I'm not doing that right now. Um, I might bike if I had a bike on the schedule because I bike three times a week. You know, then I might bike in the morning and still do my workout in the afternoon. But I won't do it right off the bike. Um, or sometimes I'll just do my speed workout. Usually I'll do my speed workout first, so my legs are fresh, and I'm really getting that um, that uh, turnover, and my legs aren't tired from the bike. And then I might bike in the afternoon instead. But when I was like doing training in the fall, I would always bike first and then run or run off the bike. But, um, that's not something I'm worried about right now. So, so yeah, so still two hard workouts a week. I haven't done, like I said, um, haven't changed my training a whole lot besides more mile, you know, um, like a, you know, a couple, a couple more double runs, um, and, re and basically just replacing those cycling hours, um, with running and, um, uh, and, and going from there. So, so what do those two workouts midweek, uh, look like? Oh, so I have one workout during the week and then one, um, workout on the weekend. So, oh, okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just, so it's, uh, yeah. So just intervals during the week, you know, 400s, 800s, thousands, mile repeats, um, or any combination of, of that. And then on the weekend, um, either, um, uh, marathon pace miles or threshold miles within a long run. So, you know, nothing fancy, just, um, more work, more specific marathon pace, um, work really just kind of building more on what I was doing in the fall. Um, and, and that was, and I figured that would be, um, all I needed to do to continue to, you know, improve. Um, and it's, it's worked out pretty well. And you ran really well in Austin, like you said, second best 13.1 ever. Um, uh, with that said, do you feel like your legs didn't quite have the normal speed um, when you came back in December? Like, is that something that you've had to, to work on since you've been so much more focused on, you know, more endurance type stuff or maybe more, more aerobic type stuff in the past? Um, I think my speed is there. I think my speed is there. I, I think that, um, I think I was a little bit tired in Austin because I ramped up my mileage so quickly, right? I only had six weeks. I felt pretty pressed for time. Um, and I did, I did taper a little bit, but I don't think it was enough, but 
you know what? It's, it's interesting because I'll walk away. I've walked away from a, some races going, wow, like I gave it everything I had that day and my legs felt awesome. And like, that was the best effort I could have run. And when I ran 116, I felt like that. Like there is no way that I could ever run faster than that. You know, like I ran my best race ever. I felt great. My legs were felt awesome, but I walked away from Austin run 117 going, mm, dude, like my legs were tired. Like if I had, if they had felt good, I had another two minutes in them. So in some ways it was, um, it was, it was a little bit, it was encouraging to me because I felt like, oh, I still, I feel like I still had more. Like it wasn't, I didn't feel like I had run my, my best day. And that can be encouraging because that means that you still have room to run faster and improve. And I just think my legs were just a little bit tired because they weren't used to so much mileage. I hadn't done that much mileage in over a year, you know? Um, and so I think they were still getting used to it, uh, which is, which is normal. Um, I've had runners that really struggle with me <laughs> initially because we're, we're doing a lot of hard work, but then once their legs get used to the work, then they can really start rolling and then their workouts really turn around and they feel good. Um, it can just, it takes a, it can just take a little bit of time though to get used to the work, um, in order to really see the results that, um, you know, are there, you know? So that's kind of how I felt at Austin. Like, okay, it was still really, really good effort. I feel like I could have a little bit more in me in a few more weeks if my legs got a little bit more used to the workload. Um, but I was like pleased with my progress and, you know, two minutes in just six weeks, you know, that's, that's a lot, you know, <laughs> when you're running sub, you know, sub six paces already. So I was, I was pretty happy with the effort, but thought, yeah, you know, I think I just needed a few more weeks to get my legs used to the mileage. So why did you choose um, 3M instead of going to Houston, where obviously a lot of people ended up racing uh, that weekend? Yeah. Well, I had done 3M last year. (laughs) I had run a disappointing 119, and I definitely was in better shape to run faster than that. But I was just so injured with my hamstring that um, I I could not push off my leg. And my workouts had been suffering. And you know, I'd been running, um, on, you know, the hamstring tendinopathy for months. And so, you know, two, like literally two weeks after that is when I got the sacral stress fracture because I had been running with a weak hamstring, you know, my hip for so long. And, was at that point, you know, almost, um, a relief because now I had to rest it and make everything get better. Um, so I wanted to go back. I wanted to go back and prove that I could run faster. You know, um, I thought that actually, um, yeah, so, so that was kind of the, the, the goal. Like I had enjoyed the race last year, but it wasn't anything close to what I expected. And I thought I, you know, let me go back Let me write this wrong a little bit and, um, and, and see what I could do, um, when, you know, last year didn't turn out so well. So that was, that was why I went back. And so I'm happy that I did. <laughs> I want to take a quick break to talk about our sponsor, Inside Tracker. Listen, when it comes to diet and nutrition, it seems like there are a million voices in the wilderness all just screaming out. It's hard to understand what to think about nearly any kind of food. 
And that's why personalized nutrition can be so helpful and valuable. And the key to doing that is getting your blood work done, seeing where you are on a biomarker scale, and you can optimize exactly what your body needs. And that's exactly what Inside Tracker does. They track up to 43 different biomarkers. They've optimized zones specifically designed for you. And also, they have science-backed recommendations for different ways where you can improve different markers and your levels. So give Inside Tracker a try. It's such a valuable resource. Listen, all the top athletes in the world, they get their blood work done and they have professionals taking a look at it to make sure that they're on the right path. Shouldn't you be able to do the same thing? So use code RAMBLINGRUNNER to save 10% on Inside Tracker today. All right, let's talk about this weekend because I knew that you were going to be in Mesa um, for you know the, the marathon, half marathon event that they're having. It's a really popular one. We saw, in fact, Galen Rupp's going to be there running the half marathon and a lot of people will be in town. So with that said, I come, I communicated with you. I'm like, hey, I want to have you on. I'll, I'll talk to you before you run the half. And you, you know, oh, change of plans. Um, I'm not running the half. I'm like, oh, okay. Well, you know, whatever. It is getting close to race day. No big deal. Like, no, I'm running the full instead. I'm running the marathon. And so, so first of all, I guess, why? Why, Sarah Bishop, are you running the marathon this week? Okay. Okay. Let me explain myself and more to convince myself that this is a good decision <laughs> more than anything. But okay. So in early January, I got the opportunity to go to uh, New Zealand and do a 70.3 with uh, Challenge, the Challenge family, which is like the Iron Man group. They're just probably the second most popular half iron. Um, uh, Tri- uh, long distance triathlon brand out there. And um, it was a really good opportunity. So <laughs> screw it. I am going to go to New Zealand two weeks before the trials. That will be fine. That will be fine. And I'm like, that will be kind of like my last hard workout. And 70.3 does not take that much out of me. I know it sounds crazy, but um, you just have to trust me. Like it's a, you know, the swim and the bike is nothing on the body. And it's the run at the end, 13 miles at close to your marathon pace. It's, it's, you recover so much faster than you would, um, running something long, like, like a hard marathon <laughs> for sure. Um, and even half, like I think a hard half marathon is harder on the body for sure. Like three uh, M half way more sore after that than after any 70.3 I did last year. And a lot of that had to do with the downhill. But still, like any hard half marathon will take more out of me because you're like redlining and you're pushing yourself and your legs at a pace that you just cannot do in a half Ironman, especially at the end of a bike and a run or a swim and a, and a bike. So it's a different kind of hurt. Um, it's You just recover really quickly in a half Ironman. So anyway, so I was like, okay, that will be fine. And plus the run is like um, – uh, it's off-road. So it's kind of on a hard dirt trail and it's pretty hilly. And I'm like, that'll be like the last 13 miles of the Atlanta trails course. Like, it'll be like, I'll do the swim and the bike. And then this will simulate like, you know, the last 13 miles of the marathon. <laughs> so I was like, yeah, this is perfect, you know? Um, so when I decided to do that, I was like, okay, but I have to do like a hard 20 miler. Um, three weeks out from the trials end. Cause usually my last hard long run is like 18 miles at like 10 seconds per mile slower than marathon pace. And I'll do that like, um, 14 to 17 days out from, um, uh, my goal race. And, um, 
I, so I was like, gosh, I like have to do that in Phoenix. So if I did it four weeks out, that's kind of too far out for me. Like my last 20 mile or four weeks out is a little too far out, like hard 20 miler. So I was like, all right, you know what? This will be fun. I will just do it in Phoenix. And I was thinking to myself in January, I'll figure out how I'm going to attack it at that point. If I, if I need to just pull out after 22 miles, fine, you know, and I'll figure out what pace I'm going to run. You know, I don't have to like run all out. You know, I, I'll, I'll just, I'll figure out the plan as I get closer to what I think, uh, you know, will best suit me at that point. So I did change a while ago and, <laughs> and, um, and I'm glad I did. Like, I'm still glad that I'm running the marathon tomorrow, but that was, that was the thinking. Um, and so, um, I, you know, of course, like, um, it would have been nice to try to run another half marathon PR, but, um, you know, at this point I really need the long run. And, um, so I'm pretty excited actually. The weather's going to be awesome. The course is great. You know, I'm going to wear my Aftershocks headphones in this race for the first time ever in a race. I'm going to wear headphones. <laughs> I looked it up. It's okay. The rules say it's fine. Um, but, you know, I've, this is funny because I gave one of my athletes a hard time about wearing headphones in their marathon races because I'm like, why would you do that? That's crazy. Like, and this is a really fast athlete, you know, and here I am I'm like, I'm going to wear my headphones <laughs> in this marathon race. But I think it'll relax me more. I'm going to treat it like a hard long run. And, um, you know, I'm still nervous because it's, I'm going to finish the race. Like I am, I didn't fly all the way out here not to finish, <laughs> finish the race. So, um, you know, 26 miles is a long way. Um, I'm not, and you know what, Matt, I am not even concerned about the physical recovery. I'm certain because I've been doing so much and my body is so attuned to what I've been doing that I will recover from this, um, in a few days. But what I'm, what I'm worried about is the mental energy. It takes so much mental energy. The last, you know, eight to 10 miles of the marathon, like nothing I've ever experienced in the 70.3 or half marathon or any other distance. It's like just, there's so much concentration involved because I feel like no matter what shape you're in, um, no matter how well you pace the race, you're going to be hurting by mile 16, 17. Like I always am, no matter what, even in my best marathons when I've run completely even splits, I was in the hurt locker at 16, 17. And you still have, you know, nine miles to go, 10 miles to go, you know, and you have to just dig deep. And it just takes so much mental energy and concentration <laughs> to do that. Um, but, um, you know, I, it's been a long time since I've run a marathon. And so I'm like, excited like for the first time in a long time I'm excited like because I haven't run one in a while and um I feel mentally and physically like just ready to to do this tomorrow so so yeah <laughs> so game on baby game on game all on. right game so on. you mentioned earlier that your that key workout that you like to do two to two to two and a half weeks out is you know roughly 18 miles at 10 seconds per mile slower than your marathon pace so now given your kind of truncated buildup how are you able to determine what kind of marathon shape or pace you're currently in well so after um so i was you know the 3m half is going to give me a good indication and you know 117 is kind of equivalent to like a 242 marathon um and so i thought that um 
that was a decent indication of where I would be at if, it, if I had felt great in the race. But I feel like I'm right at 240 shape. Like I feel like um, probably, you know, had been, if I had been fresh um, and felt good, I could have run like 116 and would been, that had been closer to 240 shape. So I, and then like, so the weekend after that, after that race, I felt amazing. Like it was like something just switched, turned to switch. I think it was a little bit of taper. I had the 3M half. I was finally feeling it the next week because that does happen. Um, <laughs> and I did like 20 miles at 6.08 pace and it wasn't all continuous. I had to take some breaks, but that was a damn good workout for me. And that's probably my best long run workout I've ever had. And that did give me a true indication. Like I was like, okay, so I, I do think I'm in, you know, 240 shape, you know, on a flat course kind of thing, good weather, you know, or maybe even 239 kind of thing. Um, so I, it was like be, more, a, a better indication that the, the workout the weekend after 3M of where my marathon, um, uh, where, where I felt my marathon ability was in that 20 miler. So going into this race, you know, so then I had a weekend, um, and then, then the next weekend I didn't do, so this is last weekend. I didn't do a long run. I did like 13, 14 miles. I guess it's a little bit of a long run. <laughs> and then I did a long bike ride. We could talk about that later. <laughs> um, uh, and then, um, so, so then I was kind of saving it a little bit, you know, doing it a tad bit, just freshening my legs up a little bit for this 26 mile run. And, um, you know, I keep thinking in my head, okay, I did 20 miles at 608. You know, I feel good right now. This is a downhill course. So I'm not afraid to run, you know, 605s on a downhill course for the first 13 miles if I feel good. And I wish I was talking to you tomorrow after the race because I feel like I'm like talking out of my ass over here. Like, oh yeah, I can run 605. <laughs> like that just sounds so fast, you know? Um, but um, you know what? We'll, we will just see. We will just have to see. Like I'm going to try to be smart. Um, uh, you know, Heather McCurdy in the shakeout, I have to tell you this. So she gave a really good, um, uh, she, she told us about all three courses and gave a, um, really good description of the courses for all of us, um, and how we should approach the races <laughs> for the marathoners in no uncertain terms. She told us that after 10 miles, we were all going to die. She really did. <laughs> She scared the crap out of us. And, you know, she, rightfully so, because the first 10 miles is significantly downhill, kind of like Boston, right? And if you don't run it right, you will be in a bucket of hurt after halfway when the course flattens out because your quads will be ripped to shreds, you know? So um, she did tell us that, you know, there'd be all these eccentric contractions going on in our quads and thousands and thousands of micro tears and that we would basically die <laughs> but um it was good like I'm glad she told everybody that because if you're not scared about the first 10 miles of this course then you're probably not respecting it enough so I am hoping you know that you know 605s on a very very downhill course the first 13 should feel more like 620s that's what I'm banking on and then you know the last 13 I'm hoping to ride around 60 605s and um see how it goes. So, uh, I mean, I'm nervous. Like, <laughs> trust me, I'm nervous about this plan. I haven't run 26 miles in a really long time, but I am excited. So that's a good thing. Um, 
But um, yeah, we, I guess we'll just have to see what happens, <laughs> you know. <laughs> there you go. De- death by micro tear. That thing, that's a new one. I have heard a lot of, a lot of different kinds of death stories. I haven't heard of that one before. She described it perfectly. She told us exactly what was happening. And she's right. She was right. And so, um, yeah, like it's, it's, yeah, it's um, definitely, uh, yeah, downhill courses um, can be deceivingly difficult. Um, and we all know that from Boston, right? With the first, the, the downhill that it's, you know, the first part of it's really downhill. And it's a net down, Boston's a net downhill course, but nobody would tell you it's easy. Um, so it just, you have to run them right. There you go. All right. Well, I'm excited for you tomorrow. Obviously, it's going to be an exciting thing. And then you got, yeah, then you're traveling across the world the following week. And then <laughs> you got the trial. So, hey, there we yes, go. Yes. Like, and then the lot, trial. Very little bit of time. Um, all right. So, with that being said, um, I know that you actually have some some stuff going on the weekend of the trials. So you wanted to give a little shout out to your little, your, the live show that you'll be doing? Oh, yeah. So I will be doing, um, I'll be on the live event with the Iron Women podcast. So it's going to be myself and two other pro triathletes who qualified for the trials. And we, um, we will be just telling our stories um, and um, about, you know, how we got to where we are and kind of just doing, um, you know, uh, giving some inspiration to uh, women out there to go after their goals and um, not be afraid to get out of their comfort zone and do things that, um, you know, maybe aren't conventional or that um, are out of the box a little bit. So, yeah, so I think that's going to be a really uh, cool event. So if anybody wants to come, it's on Wednesday um, at six o'clock. Um, it's, uh, I don't know exactly where it's at. So look at the Iron Woman podcast <laughs> uh, Instagram page and it'll be on there. But yeah, I, I'm excited. So that'll be fun. Yeah. And I actually have, so one of those co-hosts is Haley Chura, who I actually had. Haley, yeah, that's right. She was on the Rambling Runner podcast post CIM. She was actually, it was supposed to run on this feed, but there were so many CIM stories that I just got inundated. So I just like, hey, Haley, we're going to bump it over to Rambling Runner. Um, and that was a great conversation for a lot of the same reasons that I've enjoyed our conversations. So if someone isn't familiar with with Haley or that podcast, obviously check them out. You can also check out our post-CIM recap over in Rambling Runner, which kind of ran near the end of December, I'm pretty sure. Um, so that, that should be fun. So Sarah, Best of luck to you tomorrow, and I can't wait to see you in Atlanta and then recap after the fact. All right. Sounds good, Matt. Thanks a bunch. Sarah, thank you so much for coming on the show. Spoiler alert, she won the Mesa Marathon. She won that sucker. She set a three-minute PR. She broke 240. She did every single thing that she said she was going to do when she recorded this episode. I just... I don't know what to say. This woman's incredible. She just is just unbelievably incredible. And I'm just so glad that she's on this show and we'll be able to follow along during this entire journey. So next week, we got Lou Serafini coming on Monday. That's going to be a great episode. Make sure you follow along, subscribe if you haven't already done so. Thank you so much for listening and happy running. This has been a production of the Rambling Runner Podcast Network. Thank you to my producer, David Margetti, from InPost Media. Also, thank you to Metapi for the music and his song, Evolution. Evolution.